and welcome to Intellectual Property Magazine's podcast. I'm Ben Wadecki and this is the Big Brexit Special. So today we have an esteemed panel. Joining us first of all is Richard Goddard, President of the Chartered Institute of Trademark Attorneys. Richard has been on SIPMAR's Governing Council since 2010 and also serves as Trademark Counsel at BP. Richard, thanks for joining us. How are you? Very good. Thank you, Ben. Uh, Thanks for having me. Also on the pod is past President of the Chartered Institute of Patent Attorneys, Katerina Hammer. Katerina is a highly experienced IP consultant focused on IP strategy, portfolio reviews, IP transactions and contentious matters. Thanks for coming on the pod, Katerina. Are you ready to talk about Brexit today? Yes, I'm ready. Um, Thank you for asking me to participate. Also on the pod is the British Copyright Council's Andrew Yates joining us. He's a member of the BCC's board and a chair of its Copyright Technology Working Party. Andrew, thanks for coming on the panel. How are you? I'm in. Thank you for having us along today. And last but very not least, Michael Hawkins rounds out the panel. He's a partner at NUR in Alicante in Spain and is also a member of the Law Society's IP Committee. Michael, thanks for joining us. We've actually got a bit of Spain with us at the moment as we're in the midst of a horrific heatwave. How's things with you? Yeah, so I so I heard that the weather is great there, but um, yeah, good that you're getting a good summer. Today, we're talking about that dreaded B word, Brexit, a six-letter word that caused immense uncertainty across the past four years since UK voters opted to leave the EU. The UK has officially left the EU and currently finds itself in a period of transition, which, at the time of recording, is set to end at the end of this year. Despite being less than half a year away, things are still unclear. We recently reported that IP associations are concerned that the UK government government needs to drastically change its IP strategy for Brexit, which in its current form would, quote, seriously risk undermining the UK's economic interests. We've brought some of those associations together to discuss this further. Let's start things off with with Richard. You recently wrote an article for us which said that the UK government needs to, quote, get to grips with IP policy and fast. Can you outline for us how happy SIPMAR are with the current state of IP aspects of Brexit? Certainly, yeah. um, I mean, happier than than when that article went out, um, but certainly not um, entirely happy. So sort of happy with where we are on on registered rights in terms of the comparable trademark and design rights in the UK. But the the, the question was around address for service and um, and the way that address for service for the UK IPO is dealt with. It's very um, pleasing that the UK IPO has launched a call for views on this subject, which is open at the moment. We we await the outcome of that. And certainly it's very important to the, the IP industry in the UK and to, to brand owners that um, that we have changed there and that we get the level playing field that we're after at the moment. And the UK-based practitioners will lose the right to act before the EU IPO after the end of the year. But as things stand, practitioners based in the EEA will be able to continue to suggest the service for, for the UK IPO. So we're hoping that there's going to be a change in that area. The call for views, as I said, will we'll close shortly. So we, we need that change to happen. It's very important and uh, we're very um, hopeful that 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 will um, move in the right direction. Katerina, same question to you. While patents don't seem as affected as trademarks or designs, how do you find the the current state of things? Well, I think, first of all, I'd like to say that um, SEPA is involved in trademark and design um, work. So we are 
also very interested in the discussions on representation rights and address for service and will also be responding to the consultation. But as you say, on patents, our message has very much been business as usual, and we hope that that will be the case. Um, we have a very strong IP system in this country, a very good system, and we want that to remain strong and stable through the Brexit process. You know, we have some concerns. When you're asking for things to stay the same and you don't hear anything, you maybe you're thinking perhaps that is because it's all going to stay the same, but you still got concerns. And we are concerned about, you know, what might or might not happen in, in trade agreement and discussions. But I would say that we have been impressed at the way that the UK Intellectual Property Office and also the Department of International Trade have consulted and, and do seem to, to be listening to the voice of, of experts in this field. Time is, of course, ticking away. We're, we're recording this in, in early August, so not long until the 31st of December. Andrew, has the UK government left it too late to address some of the concerns that, that you guys at the BCC might have? Well, I think, first of all, the, the thing is to note that uh, the BCC focuses on copyright and related rights, performers' rights, so unregistered rights compared with the others on the panel. And in that context, you know, we've been told by the government that it's prepared to have a no-deal Brexit if necessary. So it's not a question of leaving it too late. It's more, as Katrina was so, saying, it's important to have the dialogue with industry now to see where the potential problems areas are. And much work has been done to pass the detailed legal provisions to cover ongoing application of retained EU law after the end of the year. But the key issue for us is how the reciprocal international application of detailed rules that have previously relied on the European acquis are going to be carried forward in the future. And although there's a lot of arguments to say we should no longer have alignment with the EU, the reality is we work very closely with our European partners. And so the trick is to try to show that even though it might not be actual alignment, we are going to be doing the same things and continuing to push for worldly developments as far as copyright is concerned. Richard, you picked up on, on the consultation and, and Katerina, you've, you've also mentioned that the uh, CEPA will be obviously responding to that. I wanted to pick up on that, actually, because it doesn't, the actual consultation reading it through, it, it doesn't actually address uh, rights of representation issues. I know we're very, very close to that deadline now, so it might be a bit tricky to obviously try and work that in. But, for, but how does the panel see that in terms of frustrating that they've, they're focusing on the e aspect for correspondent addresses, but they're not dealing with the rights of representation. Are we are we too past the point on that? So in terms of um, rights of representation before the EU EU IPO, the government has has made clear that access to EU institutions, including the EU IPO, is is not part of the government's negotiating strategy. So sadly, I think we we are probably past that. It would require a sea change in the government's attitude to the Brexit negotiations. So I can't see any realistic likelihood of that happening. But what we would like to see movement on, um, or at least additional clarity on, is the provisions of the withdrawal agreement insofar as they relate to representation. There is the the issue about the ability for existing um, EU representatives to continue to act on ongoing procedures, but we await clarity from the EU IPO as to quite what ongoing procedures on EU trademarks and community designs actually means. And this is Michael Richard, I completely echo that. So um, I think there's been a great deal of work on, on the UK IPO side in, in terms of putting in place the procedures and the regulations for the comparable rights and, and this consultation that you mentioned on, on address for service. But on the EU side, there's, there's still some uncertainty, not just in relation to those ongoing proceedings and, and the ability of UK practitioners to continue, but also in relation to what happens with proceedings themselves based on UK rights. There's still uncertainty before the EU IPO as to how 
how they are going to be dealt with. And and we do need that certainty on, on the withdrawal agreement, as you say. Michael, thank you on that point. You actually brought me on to my next point. You're, you're working for a German firm in Alicante, the home of the EU's IP office. I want to know how you and also your colleagues are seeing this. And do you think it's sensible to extend the transition period from your side of things, given that we're dealing with both a viral pandemic and issues related to Brexit as well? Well, I mean, I think we've been um, talking about Brexit for quite some time now, and the, the negotiations have been ongoing for a very long period of time. Obviously, the withdrawal agreement itself was was a great step forward in terms of IP rights, and it provided a lot of certainty that we were not going to face a cliff-edge Brexit and, and that rights were going to be protected, which I think there was never any doubt on the UK side that they were going to respect the EU rights and replicate them on the UK registers. And obviously, people on this side of, of the continent um, differ, and, and some are, are looking very greedily with, um, with or uh, as to be expected, I suppose, with the possibilities of work that is currently being done by, by UK representatives. I think no one is particularly happy with Brexit in and of itself in, in the IP world, however. Whether we extend the transition period, you know, I don't think we're going to benefit much from doing so because, you know, it just prolongs the, the eventual um, split between the, the EU and the UK registries. And, and, you know, I don't see that we really benefit from that. Of course, the world is, is undergoing a, a major crisis right now with the coronavirus, but an extension of the transition periods would just prolong the inevitable and, and give rise to a lot of rights still being in limbo and a lot of proceedings being in limbo that I don't think would be beneficial for anyone really. Katerina, just same question to you. I mean, we've, we've been talking about Brexit for four years now. Should we extend this further? Or, or like Michael said, or have we been talking about it too long now? I have to say I have mixed feelings about, about this um, for, the, the reason, for the reasons that Michael articulated so well. On the one hand, we don't know what's going to come happen with the pandemic, especially as we move into, into autumn with worse weather and potential second wave. We don't, there are decisions that aren't best taken in a hurry. Um, so, you know, it may be that it would be sensible for that reason to have a short extension agreed, taking account of the fact that negotiations and discussions just could well take longer as people's focus is elsewhere. On the other hand, you don't want a period of uncertainty to last last for too long. I think this is a, this is a delicately balanced one. My personal f- feeling is that we sh- that it would be better to err on the side of caution and put in place a short extension because we just you know we don't know what's going to happen with the pandemic. I want to come on to kind of the positives of this because we've been talking for the last four years about uncertainty, potential changes, impacts, and 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 level playing fields. Andrew, is there anything from the BC? side of things that you could see as a potential positive for post-Brexit for the copyright side of things the one thing that I personally noticed was that we're not potentially going to be bound by the controversial European Copyright Directive which means we could potentially make our own effectively How, how do you guys see this? Well I think as far as the current state of our uh, are playing as a, uh, alongside our European colleagues is concerned, the BCC members are concerned about our positioning for the future because the EU has long been a world leader in developing the copyright framework and using uh, the development of digital marketplaces and so on in Europe to actually help show the way as to how we should develop copyright law within the EU. So the idea of us suddenly having complete independence from what's gone on there in the future as a result of uh, the change at the end of the year, I don't think is realistic. So there will be good things coming out of it because there is a bit more flexibility to look at the latest few directives that have gone through on the copyright front in Europe and see how we might 
wish to transpose or use some of those provisions in the future. But the biggest danger that I think we have about the gap at the end of the year is that there is a no-deal Brexit. doesn't relate so much to the trade agreement between the EU and the UK, which, let's face it, would be in general high-level terms as far as we're concerned anyway. But the fact that the absence of an agreement would open up the danger of us agreeing things in other trade agreements with other countries around the world, which create difficult precedents, and they in turn force us apart from our European colleagues uh, in terms of future development. That is a worry for BCC members. Same question to you, Michael. Is there anything that uh, yourself and, and the law, your Law Society colleagues are, are seeing as a potential positive post-Brexit? Uh, well, I think we've already discussed the, the rise of representation points. Certainly, whether it's positive or negative, it could be both. Um, obviously, there will be opportunities for, for additional work on both sides of the EU-UK divide um, to undertake more work on, on that side. And just following on from Andrew's point about, uh, about trade deals, so, I mean, we, uh, from the Law Society's perspective, the Law Society generally, not just the IP committee, we're very keen for the EU and the UK to strike a very ambitious trade deal in relation to services, including, um, you know, the free them for lawyers to provide temporary services, individual establishment, things like that, in UK lawyers in the EU and vice versa, because that trade deal would constitute a very strong precedent on a worldwide level, actually, that many other countries are looking at the current EU-UK negotiations to see whether they can adopt a similar trade agreement going forward. So so this, um, you know, Andrew's looking at it from a different perspective about other countries kind of racing to the bottom, where I think our approach would be to really encourage um, both sides to be ambitious and to strike this deal that and deals with services and, and deals with things that a very, very good level that provides lots of opportunities for everyone, not just, you know, people in the UK or people in the EU. I want to, Richard, come to you on again. Um, we're speaking about international outlook and, and, and post-trade deals. The UK, as you know, has an ex- a stellar trademark environment and were recently found to have, what was it, the second best in the world. Previously speaking to to, to you guys at SIPMA, have, have warned that this could affect that positioning. Are, are, you, are you worried at all? Um, I wouldn't say worried, but I mean, I think what government policy Policymakers need to understand is that the the UK's position, the sort of the top of the tables in various forms of IP, is is not down to one any one single factor. It's sort of a very delicate house of cards of all sorts of different factors in terms of expertise of practitioners, court system, um, and so on. And that if you um, sort of mess with any of the pieces, there's a there's potential to damage the whole structure. So I think that we just need to make sure that policymakers are aware of the um the, the sort of the the in the crown that is the UKIP system and make sure that they don't inadvertently change policy in, in a manner which affects any of those um, those key pieces. Uh, just just finally, Katerina, coming to you, I want to ask uh, how should our international listers view the current situation and should we go moving ahead if it stays as it is? Should they be paying closer attention as the end of the year creeps forward or how, how should they view the current situation? Well, I think, first of all, people should be 
reassured by the fact that you've heard, you know, from, from all of us involved today, we all emphasising the strength of the UK system and how important it is to preserve that, you know, the and the fact that government is listening. So I think there should be some reassurance um, in, internationally from that, that the UK will continue to be a great place to protect IP and also to, to enforce IP. With that in mind, I mean, there are some things about the, the UK has that I think are particularly advantageous that aren't often talked about. So, for example, we have the Lambert Toolkit, which really facilitates collaborations between universities and businesses. And I don't think any other country has anything you know, quite as comprehensive as the, as, as the Lambert Toolkit. And perhaps in future, that's something that could be expanded upon um, to go beyond those university business collaborations and into a broader series of agreements. So I think internationally, people should be reassured that we are all committed to maintaining the UK at the top of the tree in IP and that the UK will remain open to business and what we're trying to do what we're trying to do very much in our discussions with government is very much support government positions which are generally aligned with preserving that status you know as legal professionals we tend to worry a bit and we'll see think we'll, we'll see things that could go wrong and we'll be very quick to point to government you know what what are the what are the downsides and the risks and that is part of our job and we're doing it in order to preserve the great environment that we're in and that we remain committed to the broader international harmonization of IP as a whole that's something that we are we also remain committed to so hopefully that will be reassuring to folks internationally looking at the UK you guys have been wonderful thank you so much for for taking the time to be on the panel and and talk through such a a difficult topic I'm sure we'll all have to come back towards the end of the year and discuss how things are looking then but before we go I would like to ask any of you would is there anything you guys would like to shout out Uh, one thing from 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 my perspective is I've been personally enjoying uh, Katerina Sipa's uh, Two IPs in a Pod podcast with, with Lee and, and Gwilym. Um It's been absolutely wonderful. Would you allow me to plug the Virtual SEPA Congress, which is happening in September? Of course you can, by all means. Because of the current environment, we're not doing our usual face-to-face um, meeting, two-day meeting, but instead we're having a whole week of online sessions. They're widely publicised, um, and I would encourage anyone who's interested in IP to have a look because it's flexible. You can join for the whole con- the whole of the conference, or you can just pick and choose um, individual sessions. Speaking of conferences, Richard, I'm really upset that we can't go to Birmingham this year for the Autumn Conference. Yeah, I, I am a little upset um, that, that that Birmingham's off the uh, off the agenda for this year. Um, it's always um, a, a great event. We are adapting though, um, and we have a virtual conference spread over two days, trying some sort of a new approach with the sort of avatars. It's not simply a video conferencing type setup. Um, it's it's a lot more interactive than that. So we are, are sort of putting our our toe in the water in terms of the, the new technology and hoping that it's never going to be the same as um, the sort of the social interactions you're able to get in person. We're hoping that um, that there will be scope for sort of networking more than the usual sort of setup. Yeah, we look forward to that. We've got a great selection of speakers um, as always. So uh, so that's um, in October the 15th and 16th. Hope um, that some of your listeners might um, join us then. I hope so. Last year there was party rings, so this year I have to bring my own. Yeah, can, I, can I just make a, a general point really, Ben, which I think it you know, the economic effect that the COVID-19 pandemics had on the creative industries has been really pretty devastating. And I think one of the things that we're proud of is that an awful lot of the copyright licensing bodies have moved very quickly to enable licensing terms to change for access to education and these sort of things in reaction to 
uh, you know, the pressure other people are under. And we are very proud of that, but it can't necessarily create permanent precedents for the future. But we are doing it against a background of increased uh, unauthorized use during the pandemic. There is no doubt about that. And the UK is very good at doing research and showing how these trends are occurring and what the effect of them is on the industry as a whole. And that has been incredibly important internationally. So my last plug at the end is whatever happens with the trade negotiations and whatever happens with uh, the development of individual national laws, the importance of enforcement agencies internationally continuing to operate and to exchange information about organized crime groups cannot be underestimated. It is really important we don't draw up the drawbridge in the UK and break off some of those dialogues because it would be to our detriment. Many thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this discussion on Brexit. Be sure to tune in next time for more and head to intellectualpropertymagazine.com for the latest IP news and developments. Thank you and please stay safe.